Amen and amen. It's been a long three years. The first 18 months were a piece of cake. The three tours, the great throngs, the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of the 5,000, healing the widow's son who was dead had named. The crowds had followed him and they wanted to make him a king. But he said, whoever follows after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. And they tipped their hats and slowly walked away. And you recall that Jesus said, will you also go away? Thanking his disciples and the tense of the Greek implies that he thought they perhaps would. But Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and art sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He will repeat those marvelous words in the closing months of Jesus' life. The place is Caesarea Philippi, it's the third withdrawal. And Jesus has these words to say. He says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, like confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In 1741, a German farmer, preacher, whose name was Johann Swedler, wrote a marvelous hymn poem that says it much like Peter. Ask ye what great thing I know, what delights and stirs my soul, what the high reward I win, who's the name I glory in, Jesus Christ the crucified. Why is faith's foundation strong? What awakes my lips to song? He who bore my sinful load purchased for me peace with God, Jesus Christ the crucified. Who is life in life to me? Who the death of death will be? Who will place me on his right with the ransom host of light? Jesus Christ the crucified. This is that great thing we know. This delights and stirs our souls. Here's the high reward we win. Here's the name we glory in, Jesus Christ, the crucified. In 1866, questions were being posed in the various churches in England concerning the authority of Scripture and the deity of Christ. Samuel Stone was a pastor. He pastored a church in Windsor, England, and he penned, the church's one foundation 
is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the new creation by spirit and the blood. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and with his blood he bought her and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, pursues one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every work endued. Jesus said, whoever will say that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, will be a part of a new created group called the New Israel. Church, the ecclesia, ek means out. Klesia means the call, those who indeed are called out. And Jesus said, whosoever shall come unto me will likewise not be refused. So we come this morning to affirm the purpose and why the church. And the church is built upon the ministry, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And they are the building blocks of the Christian faith and the Christian church. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, Abraham, in Genesis 12, 3, and of your heritage shall all the earth be blessed. Jesus is of his lineage. You recall how Isaiah is a high watermark in the Old Testament. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Who hath believed our report? He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the suffering servant who came in the name of Jesus Christ. As Paul said in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And not only do we find this as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, but in turn, his life and miracles and teaching are a witness. Luke summed up his ministry in one verse in the book of Acts, Acts 10, 38. He went about doing good. In a Greek class many years ago, right after the earth was cooling when I was in the seminary, just so happens that a fine student said, Dr. Vaughn, how do we get the theology of Jesus in the gospels? And he said a very perceptive thing. He said, look at the verbs. Look at the verbs. He came, he saw, he taught, he preached, he healed, he fed, he forgave, he died, he resurrected. This is the theology of Jesus Christ and his life. And he had time for any and everybody, Mr. Nobody, like Bartimaeus, 
He cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Wouldn't you, wouldn't I, if we were blind all our lives and somebody came down the pike and he'd heard about Jesus for three years, he'd been going around making things incredible take place, the lame to walk, the blind to see, the dead to live. Would he do that for me? And you recall how they said, hey, tell that guy to go play in the traffic. Shut him up, cry out loud. Jesus walked over to him and in Greek, he bent down on a knee in one of the greatest verses for me in the Bible. He said, what would you have me to do for you? Can you believe that? Oh Lord, that I might be able to see. And he healed him on the spot. He had time for the nobodies. Years ago, we had a seminar when we had a number of singles in this congregation. And it was the fact that Jesus makes nobody somebody's. And I recall one of our singles said a perceptive, I was leading the discussion in the chapel and one of them said, well, Dr. Sherman, let's face it. Some, everybody is a some, nobody to somebody. Well, that's true. But you know what? There's not a one of us in this room that's a nobody to Jesus. He died in order that you and I might live. He taught in order that you and I might escape the minefields, ego, pride, lust, theft, violence, anger, ego self-centeredness. His life and his ministry gave witness to who he was, but also his death. His first conversation in the first three Passovers was with Nicodemus. It's in John 3. You know it very well. And he said, Nicodemus, you need to understand that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus is a PhD in Judaism. When he was a child, he sat at the gates and listened to the elders. He went to rabbinic school in Jerusalem. He was taught by Gamaliel. He in turn knew the scriptures, 605 written laws, 800 to 1200 oral tradition, the Mishnah. And he says, as he looked at Jesus, how can these things be? And he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And then he went on to say later in his ministry, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all manner of men and women unto me. His marvelous resurrection gives witness to who he is and his mighty power. The Greek word for power is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from it. And that's exactly what Jesus can do for your life and mine. And here he comes. He creates a new Israel. And as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the children of God. So our second idea is namely this. Believers, Christ affirmed the church is composed of twice-born believers physically and spiritually. And they added to the church daily those who were saved. Now, the question comes, 
What does that mean to us today? The first thing is this, Jesus taught us how to truly live. Robert Abrams was the Associated Press reporter in Shanghai during the Sino-Japanese War in the 1930s. He was in a hotel and the siren went off and he ran like everyone else to the basement and thankfully no bomb struck the hotel. He went out and walked around and saw the carnage on the streets. He went back and he sent a telegram to the states. Here's what it said. Tonight Shanghai is burning and we're burning too. What death could be more lethal than death inside of you? For some men die by bullets and others go down in flames but most men perish inch by inch just playing little games. In Ephesians 2, Paul says to the church, and you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Every time a person sins, something within them dies. They lose the vitality and purpose of life. It's not accidental that people try to drown themselves in alcohol or in drugs or in lives of all kinds of immorality. They're looking for a reason to live. Human beings are the only creation of God that have to have a reason to live. And Jesus comes down the pike and he gives us the reason to live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He or she who followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I had never heard of Louis Sambini. And my grandsons, who went to MBA, came and said, Papa, we had a, we had a young, uh, not a young, an old man who was in World War II. His name was Zambini, and he spoke at our school. I'd never heard of him. I said, well, tell me this story. Well, he was first in the Air Force. He was on a reconnaissance looking for folk that had gone down in the ocean. The airplane sputtered, had tired blood, and crashed. For 47 days, he floated on a life raft. He was strafed. He was picked up by the Japanese. He was placed in a prison camp. He was abused terribly. You saw the movie Unbroken. It's about his life. He comes home. He'd been treated terribly by one officer in particular, the bird. His mar marriage is shaky. Billy Graham is preaching a revival, a tent revival in Los Angeles. His wife said, honey, come go with me to the revival. He said, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, that God squad stuff, don't give me that. I'm not interested in that. You know, after all, I want something that's exciting. Well, she kept on his case, and you know us husbands finally give in, most of us. Uh, well, I don't know about your house, but I do. And uh, just so happens, he goes to the revival. The Lord gets a hold of his life. He goes back the next night, and he makes a commitment to Christ. He does a 180. No, the power of God did the 180. If any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
He decides that he'll go back to Japan and look up the officers that abused him so terribly and forgive them. Can you believe that? And he does. And many of them become believers. The bird wouldn't see him. He gave his testimonies at Billy Graham revivals about how Christ had changed his life. He teaches us how to live. Secondly, he also teaches us how to forgive. And that's not easy. When I think about forgiveness, I think about something that happened right up the hall in this building. On Saturday night, about 1969 or 70, I'd have to check. I get a telephone call from our minister of music at this church, Clay Killian, Dr. Sherman, my boy Jim has been in a wreck on Harding Road. Oh, really? He's at Baptist Hospital. He's in the emergency room. They don't think he's going to live. And my goodness, we dropped everything, as you might suspect, and Vita and I drove down there as fast as we could. Spent the night down there. Jim had been back-ended as he pulled out on, from Hillwood on to Harding Road. He had the green light and an inebriated college student had hit the back of his car. No seat belts in those days, and he had catapulted forward, and this part of his head was crushed. He never regained consciousness. And we agonized that night, because we had three kids. Jim lived until Thursday, and they turned off the ventilator. His service was in this place. We went to Missouri held the service there. About a week later, I get a call, and Jim Clay's fathers said to me, uh, Bill, could you come and meet with us in the parlor? I said, well, of course, what's up? Well, we're going to meet with uh, the young man and his mother and father who struck Jim's car, cost him his life. Wow. So I made my way and I began to pray that whatever would happen would be within the fences. Because I kind of know how you and I might feel if somebody did that to one of our sons or daughters. We sit down and everything's very uneasy. I met the people, shook their hands. I was at this end of the table. The other young man was at this end of the table. He had been sued or would be if they chose for vehicular homicide in killing Jim. Bobby Dale looked across the table and said, Jim's gone. We're brokenhearted. But we thought about this. I said, she turned to the young man and said, and you're responsible. And you ruined his life. You took it. And we thought about it, we prayed about it. And Clay and I have decided that we're going to tell the district attorney to drop the charges. We forgive you for striking our son's car. And we hope that you'll change your pattern of life and make something of yourself. I couldn't believe my ears. The young man burst into tears, his parents burst into, we were all in tears. 
And I marveled at that. I went home and told Vita, I said, I don't know if ever I would be able to do that. Let's face it, this is big time. And Jesus, even when they were crucifying him, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He teaches us how to live. He teaches us how to forgive. And thirdly, he teaches us, he teaches us how to love. Got a call from a good friend of mine in West Texas and said, Bill, there's a new movie out. I want you to see it, it's Chariots of Fire. I said, what's that all about? Well, it's about a Presbyterian Scot who ended up being a missionary. And I think you'll find it very interesting. He won the 400 meters in the 1924 Olympics when he was supposed to run the 100 meter dash but it was going to be on the Sabbath and he was a person of conviction and he told the king of England, mind you, I will not run on the Sabbath. Y'all have seen that movie and if you haven't, you better tune it in because it's worth your money. And so it was that he goes home, as you recall, after he runs, he does not run the hundred, but the old boy that won the Hurdles from England came in and told the king and them, you saw the movie, you remember the, the framework. Hey, I've already won my medal. Why don't you let Eric run the 400 meter in my place? And they didn't know what to do. He didn't train for the 400. And if you have ever run a 400, it is not like a waltz in the park. And so everybody said, well, by golly, maybe this will be the answer. And Little says, why, uh, yeah, I'll do it. And lo and behold, guess what? He won. He went home to Scotland as a hero. Every person was reaching out and wanting a piece of him. And he said, you know, the Lord's called me into Christian missions. I grew up in China. My parents were missionaries. And I want to tell people about Jesus. And in 1929, he left the church. They had a parade down to the train station. He stood up and they sang, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. And hundreds cheered as the train pulled off. And World War II breaks out and he's behind enemy lines. He's placed in a internment camp and there he dies of a brain tumor. What makes a person do something like that? I'll tell you who, what makes a person do something like that. It's a higher calling. When the Lord comes into their lives, their value system changes. People are more important. His will is more important. His Christ is more important. He teaches us how to truly live, forgive, love, and he teaches us how to laugh. We sing, this is my story. This is my song. Hey, everybody has a story. You were born somewhere, you grew up somewhere, you married somewhere, that's your story. I wanna know, do you have a song? And the Christian has a song.
He places a song in our lives. And finally, Jesus teaches us how to leave. I've had about 400 plus memorial services as a pastor in 68 years. And some of your kinfolks in this very room, their bodies have laid right here in a casket in our son, five years, six years ago, right here. But you know what? It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they be dead, yet shall they live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never ever die. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, every one of us has lost loved ones, and if you haven't, you will. But the key word in that verse is through. The valleys for the Christian at the time of parting have an entrance and an exit. We do not stay in the valley all the rest of our lives. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And Jesus said, whosoever is born once dies twice, but whosoever is born twice physically and spiritually will never die. They'll die only once. I think the poet said it probably best of all. So love will dream and faith will trust that he who knows our need is just, that somehow, somewhere meet we must. Alas, for those who never see the stars shine through their cypress trees who hopeless lay their dead away, nor hope to see the break of day across the mournful marbles play, who have not learned in hours of trust the truth to sight and sense unknown, that life is ever Lord of death, and love can never lose its own. That's why we have a security. That's why we say above all else that we follow the Galilean, the Son of God, who created a new Israel called the church, given us the ministry of reconciliation to preach to the gospel, to strengthen the saints, to create fellowship, and sustain those with broken hearts and broken lives. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Him, we encourage you to take that step that you too will be able to know the one who said, He who followeth after me shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. May we pray? Our Father, how thankful we are for the privilege we have of declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who sticketh closer than a brother, the one who makes a difference in our lives, irrespective of whether we're young, middle-eared, or senior-eared, it matters not. And the one whose spirit lives within us to sustain us and strengthen us and give us guidance and forgive us and may we, in turn, seek to live for him as long as you give us life, health, and breath. On the 80th anniversary of this congregation, we thank you for your leadership in years past. 
and pray for your presence in the moment and in years to come. So we would say with the poet, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. In his holy name we pray, amen. We do not simply close by singing a closing hymn. We extend God's great invitation to any one of you who may have not put your faith and trust in the Galilean, the one who sicketh closer than a brother, the one who has the power to save, the one who will sustain your life for all the years of your life, health, and breath. Our pastor will be here at the front. We'll stand and sing the hymn, and as God's Spirit speaks to your life, we pray your response. Shall we stand as we sing together?